Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you that we have the very words of the living God right here before us. And Lord, we thank you that these words are not without effect, that they change us. They either harden us as we read them or they soften us toward yourself. Lord, we pray this morning that there may be a great softening of heart as we hear your word together. Lord, we pray that hearts may be changed and transformed to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. And we pray that you may do all this by the work and power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do you lose heart in the face of trouble? I'm tempted to lose heart at different points in my life as dangers come upon me and as different things happen in my life, frustrations, you lose heart and you want to go with the easy option. Particularly recently with toilet training Joshua, we planned to do it on one day when I would be home and we'd hit it hard one day and make sure that Joshua uh, was able to use the toilet by the end of that day or hopefully by the end of the week. And it was after four accidents throughout the house that I started to lose heart and think that returning to nappies would be a good idea. This was particularly the case as we'd shut off his room because there's carpet in there and so we'd restricted him to tiled areas and then he went and had an accident on top of the only little bit of carpet in the house that was next to the back door that we used to wipe our feet on. He seemed to find the only spot that it was very inconvenient to have an accident upon. And so I just lost heart and I said to Jill, maybe this isn't the right time to do this. And I wanted to give up and not persevere in the face of this hardship. But thankfully Jill was there and said, no, we're going to... We're going to really make an effort here and uh, see this through and not lose heart. But we lose heart in different circumstances, maybe more serious uh, than, of course, uh, toilet training a small child. And we see this particularly in the case of Ahaz, king of Judah. We've been looking at Isaiah and we've come to chapter 7. And last week we started to look at this case with Ahaz and Isaiah coming to this king of Judah and he's faced with a particular danger in which he is encouraged to lose heart in the face of that danger. And so that's my first main point this morning. Danger is often a reason to lose heart. And we know he's tempted to lose heart because Isaiah says to him in verse 4, say to him, that's God speaking to Isaiah, to say to Ahaz, be careful, keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. He's tempted to lose heart in the face of the danger that he is experiencing, that Ahaz is experiencing. What's that danger? Well, I gave a bit of an overview last week, but just in case you weren't here for that or your memories are a bit sketchy or my overview wasn't quite good uh, last week and so it may have been a struggle to understand, I'll just quickly recap there. So... I'll go from the very beginning of the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, you've got Adam and Eve. From Adam and Eve, you eventually get Abraham. Abraham has 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. No, not from Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob is Israel. Israel has 12 sons. Those become the 12 tribes of Israel. They get locked up in Egypt for a time as slaves. Then they have an exodus. Come eventually to the promised land under Moses and then Joshua. They make a big journey there. They get to the promised land. They take over there. And then they have a king, King David in particular. He's the second king of Israel, but he's the most important one. King David, he is there. He has a son, Solomon. And then under Solomon, 
the kingdom actually splits. So Israel splits into two kingdoms. After Solomon's death, it splits into two kingdoms and you have a northern kingdom and you have a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom is Judah, that's the good kingdom. The northern kingdom are the rebels, that's Israel. And eventually you have a series of kings. If you read the book of Kings and Chronicles, you will see all the different kings that they have, the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah. Chronicles, of course, concentrates mainly on the kings of Judah, the the good kingdom, the southern kingdom. And eventually you get to two kings in particular, which is where we pick up in Isaiah. There's a king in the southern kingdom called Ahaz, and there's a king in the northern kingdom called Pekah. And we see those two introduced to us in verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, the southern kingdom, King Rezan of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. So Pekah is the king of Israel. But there's also another king mentioned there, and that's Rezan of Aram. Because meanwhile, you've got these two kingdoms of Israel, but you've got other people around them. And one is the Arameans, Syria. And the king Rezan is king of Aram there. And then at this time, the big danger that's coming is a threat from even further north from Assyria. The Assyrian Empire is gradually gathering more and more steam and starting to make its way down south in an effort to invade these kingdoms that are down here. Aram, Israel and Judah, the southern kingdom. Assyrians are coming and everyone is scared of these Assyrians that are coming down. The northern kingdom's scared, Israel. The Arameans are scared. And, of course, the southern kingdom of Judah is scared as well. And so what happens is Israel and Aram make an alliance. And that's what we see happening there uh, in Isaiah chapter 7. We see the Arameans and Israelites making an alliance. But it's called Ephraim there in the um, in verse 2. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. That's the northern kingdom. And they wanted the southern kingdom to also join in with them. But Ahaz refused to do so. And so what that meant is Ephraim and Israel, uh, Eph- Israel and Aram wanted to attack the southern kingdom because they're now afraid of the Assyrians coming down and the southern kingdom coming up and getting them as well. And so they attack the southerns to try and deal with them before the Assyrians come. And so this alliance has been made between Israel and Aram against Judah, against Ahaz. And Ahaz is tempted to lose heart. It's kind of scary. He's got an Assyrian threat and now he's got this alliance coming down upon him as well. But a God says to him, do not lose heart. Even though these people are plotting some very evil things against you. What are they plotting to do? Well, it says there in verse 4. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezan and Aram. So that's King Rezan of Aram. And of the son of Remaliah. That's a reference to the king of Israel. They are fiercely angry at you. Not just general anger, they're fiercely angry. The burning anger is the way it is in the original Hebrew. They've got this burning anger against you. And what are they planning to do? Verse 5. Aram, Ephraim and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin. They plotted the ruin saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves. They want to take over Judah, tear it apart and actually get benefits from Judah take it over and reap the plunder. And then also, and make the son of Tobiel king over it. 
They want to replace Ahaz as king and put in their puppet king instead, this guy who's called Tabil, uh, the son of Tabil. We don't know who Tabil is, uh, the son of Tabil. Uh, he could have been from the tribe of Judah, or he could have been someone who was not part of the house of David at all, which would be a complete rebellion against uh, God's promises of always having a king over Judah. Uh, but we don't know who this Tabil is, but clearly he's going to be in the pocket of the Israelite king, Pekah, and the Aramean king, uh, Rezin. So that's what they're plotting to do. They're plotting the ruin here of Ahaz. And in the face of this danger, of course... Ahaz is going to be tempted to lose heart. And that still happens today. We don't have kings coming against us, although we may have invaders at different points in history. Just because Australia is a peaceful country at the moment and no one is coming to attack us because we're so sort of far south from everyone that wants to attack people, we are very privileged being where we are. But Japanese did come down in World War II and attack Australia. We don't know what the future may hold. And so in face of such threats, we can get quite worried. But it may not be that you're worried about such threats like that. But it may be that people are trying to overtake you, trying to do the kinds of things that is described here that people are wanting to do to Judah, that people are wanting to plot your ruin. They're there thinking, how can I take you down? And they're trying to think how they can get the things that you have. They want to take the spoils. They want to divide you up among them so they can take the benefits from your life. There are people that you're often very afraid of because they want to destroy you. They want to even maybe put someone else in charge of you. They don't want you to govern your own life. They want to govern your life like they wanted to put the son of Tabeel over Judah. They may even want to change your allegiance to who your God is. They're out to convert you so that you no longer have the head of Christ over you, but just you have the head of someone else. Are people plotting your ruin right now? Do you have enemies that are out to get you? And in the face of that danger, are you tempted to lose heart? Often we are when we experience dangers. We are tempted to lose heart. But even though there may be reasons to lose heart, is there any reason not to lose heart? Isaiah says, do not lose heart. Does he give any reasons to Ahaz as to not to lose heart? Well, that brings me to my second main point. But God gives reasons not to lose heart. We often are tempted to lose heart, but God gives us reasons not to lose heart. And the way that he does this in this text for Ahaz is by predicting the future. What does he say? To Ahaz. He says, Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood. This is in verse 4. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah, Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. And then he predicts the future. It will not take place. It will not happen. The first thing God does to encourage Ahaz to not lose heart, is that he predicts the future that the danger will not happen. That this plotting will not actually meet any sort of fulfilment. That Ahaz will be safe. And the danger that Ahaz is fearing doesn't actually take place. He will not be divided up. He will not have someone else put in charge of him. 
that it all will come to nothing. God predicts the future, that Ahaz will be safe. And he even exposes the danger for what it really is. He doesn't just say it's not going to happen. He starts to talk about the danger that's coming and expose it for how weak and pathetic the danger actually is. How does he do that? Well, by the way, he describes the danger. How does he describe it? Well, in verse 4, he describes it as, do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood. Because of their fierce anger of Rezan and Aram and of the son of Remaliah. These guys, they are definitely angry. And they do look dangerous. But it's kind of like fire that is on the way out. Don't get confused about the smoke signals that are coming out here, he says to Ahaz. It's not smoke from a lively, dangerous fire. It's smoke from a fire that is dying out. These two kings are not dangerous. Yes, they can be a little dangerous, just like if you pick up a stub of firewood out of a campfire as it's smouldering in there. Yeah, you will get burnt. But it's not going to kill you. It's not like it's a major fire that you're going to get hurt with. These are smouldering stubs of fire. They're diminishing. They're on the way out. Don't get, don't get losing heart over this. These guys are just smouldering away and actually dying, not getting stronger. And he also exposes how weak the danger is by not even uttering the name of the king of Israel. Did you notice that? We get the reference to Pekah back in verse 1, son of Remaliah. But does Pekah get mentioned again then, his name? This is the illegitimate king of Israel, remember. He is the one who's taken over the northern kingdom, which is God's people. He's not supposed to be on the throne. Ahaz is meant to be ruling over both kingdoms. He's the illegitimate king. And God, it seems, has sort of forgotten his name. What does he say in verse 4? Uh, he says, Say to him, be careful, keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezan and Aram and of the son of Remaliah. I can't remember his name. I remember his dad's name. But he, yeah, it's the son of Remaliah. And then down in verse... Nine, the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. Who's that guy again? We don't quite remember his name. And even back in verse 5, Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son, what's his name again? Have plotted your ruin. God has complete disdain for this danger. He doesn't even acknowledge the man and his name, and he's saying the danger is no danger at all. We don't even have to remember his name to to overcome this guy. We just remember his father and he's that illegitimate son that we aren't really sure uh, where he is and what he's doing. And God also exposes the enemy as a weak danger by pointing out who they really are, that they are but men, even at the highest level. We see that in verse Eight, but I'll read from verse 7. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says, it will not take place, it will not happen, for the head of Aram, that whole nation of the Arameans, is Damascus. Okay? And the head of Damascus is only resin. You fear those Arameans, but really they're just, the head of those Arameans is Damascus, so it's just a city. And then the head of that city, it's just resin. No big deal, he's just a man. And the same for uh, Ephraim, for Israel. He says in verse 9, the head of Ephraim is Samaria. 
and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. They're just humans after all. Remember who the head of these people are. Because when you look at a nation and how fearful they are, it all means you often will pay attention to who is leading them. Because they're only as powerful as their leader often is. If you can take out the leader of a fierce nation, you can often take a lot of the force out of that nation. And here, God is pointing out that the head of the Arameans is only Rezin, only a man, and the head of Israel is only a man, that son of Remaliah, who I can't even remember his name. I can remember Rezin's name, but I can't remember the head of Israel. And then he also exposes the weakness of them by saying how quickly they will disappear as well. He says they won't invade you, but even they won't stay around even in their own country. And that's particularly for the threat of Israel. He says in verse 8, For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. You're scared of that kingdom of Israel coming down? God says, don't be scared of them. They're not even going to come and get you. And... They won't even be able to control themselves. They'll be too shattered to be a people. And it did take place. Within 65 years, within even a shorter period of time, they were conquered. And then eventually exiles were brought in. And uh, they were, no, people from other countries were brought in and took over the land. So the Ephraim was too shattered. There was hardly any Israelites there. And there were actually foreign peoples in the country as well. They were too shattered to be a people. And so in a very short span of time, They're all gone. 65 years later, who's worried about Israel anymore? Totally devoured by the Assyrians. And this is still true today. When we're concerned about a danger and tempted to lose heart, God predicts the future for us and tells us how weak those dangers are. He firstly tells you that people may want to attack you and take over your your life and change your allegiance, But ultimately, they will never succeed in their attacks because ultimately, where will you be? You'll be in heaven. They may be able to attack you bodily here, but they will not completely destroy you. They will not destroy you for eternity. You will be safe in heaven. God predicts the future just like he predicts the future here for Ahaz and says, you'll be safe. Not necessarily in the same way that you'll be safe bodily as Ahaz was, but you will be safe eternally. That people can plot your ruin, but they can't ultimately ruin you because you are safe for eternity in heaven if you are one of his people. And he also exposes them in their danger that they really are, how weak and pathetic people are when they try to attack you. In the light of heaven, people's anger is simply smouldering out, just like two stubs of burnt firewood. With all their anger, all their fierce anger, all the smoke that they're giving off, They're dying. Every one of us, as soon as we are born, we are on the way out. We are dying. And that is the case for your enemies as well. They may plot your ruin. They may plan to take over your life. But they're dying out. They're just smoldering away in their anger there. You've got to watch out for that smoke and don't take it as a legitimate fire that you have to be afraid of. Just take it as someone who is dying off as a burning stump of firewood. And in light of heaven, 
and being a Christian, we see who the head of these people really is. Just like the Arameans were scary, but God pointed out that the head of that person is only a man, remember who your head is in comparison. Even if you're fearful of a group of people, there will be one leader. But remember that leader is just a man. Whereas who is your head? Christ. Christ is a man too, but Christ is much more than a man as well. He is God. And who is the head of Christ? The sovereign Lord, God the Father. And so if you're afraid of people and the heads of those people, remember who your head is and be encouraged that their head doesn't come close to the head of you. Christ and then God the Father, God who is all-powerful, the sovereign God, and you're worried about a ringleader of some people who are out to attack you, you don't have to worry at all if God is your head in comparison to the head of people who is just a man. And in the light of heaven, dangers are exposed for what they are in the fact that they are short-lived dangers here on earth. Pretty much anyone who attacks you here on earth, in 65 years' time, will they be around? Pretty unlikely. Unless, of course, they're a teenager at this point in time, and if you're an adult, you're probably not that scared of some bratty little teenagers unless they're throwing eggs at your house. But in 65 years' time, even those teenage boys will be 80. And will they still be lobbing eggs at your house? In 65 years' time, your enemies are going to probably be in a nursing home or highly medicated or dead. Should you worry about them? 65 years is all it takes. Just think about, even in the perspective of eternity, in a thousand years' time, even more, will they definitely be dead then and not a concern? They'll either be suffering in hell or they'll be your brother and sister in, in heaven. And you won't have to worry about them at all hurting you. They'll be doing good to you all the time. You don't have anything to worry about from other people around you. And so you shouldn't lose heart in the face of danger from people around you. So that's very encouraging. But is that promise for everyone? No, the promise not to lose heart is only to those people who are protected by God and he only protects certain people. Who are they? Well, we're told at the end of verse 9, the last sentence of verse 9, what does God say? If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And that's my third main point this morning. God gives reasons not to lose heart to those of faith, to those who believe him and trust him. Ahaz must stand firm in in faith in God and his word and his promises, or he will not stand. And ultimately, he did not stand. A different threat came. The Assyrian army came and did serious damage to him. It wasn't Aram and Israel that ended up hurting him. It was the Assyrians. And so he did not stand because he did not trust in God. And it's the same for us today. God's promise not to lose heart because of his predictions of the future are only for those who are of faith. The promise of security is there for those who believe in God. That security 
of salvation in the next life is what really matters to make all other threats dissipate. But it's only for those who believe in God. Because if you don't believe in God and don't have eternal salvation, then the threats of other people are scary. They are reasons to lose heart. Because what could happen? They could kill you. And what does that mean? Well, there goes an end to God's grace for you. You only have so many years here on this earth before it's all over. And so you are scared of people hurting you because they could put an end to your enjoyment, your pleasures here and now. And so you have good reason to lose heart. And you have even more reason to lose heart when you consider not just the threats of men, but the threats of God. That he says, if you do not believe in me, once people end your life here or your life just gives up the ghost, then you will be eternally punished by God and you will not stand. He says there, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. You will not stand in the face of God's judgment. You'll be knocked over for eternity for punishment in hell. So you need to make sure you have faith. If you are to not lose heart in the face of danger, you need to make sure you're a believer in God. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to have faith? Well, faith is trusting in something that you can't do for yourself. You trust something to support you, to help you in an area that you can't help yourself. And so what are you to trust as a Christian? Well, you're meant to trust the Word of God. Just like Ahaz was meant to trust the Word of God, he was meant to believe God's Word coming from Isaiah. And so are you. If you are to have faith, you're meant to believe, have faith in God's Word. What God's Word says about God, what God's Word says about you, what God's Word says about His Son, because it's all pivots around what you believe about the Son. Because God has made it that way. If you recognise the Son... As God and man here on earth sent to die for you, then you are safe. You are a true believer in God. And you also trust God for what you cannot do. You trust his word, but you trust him. You hand your life over to him for what you cannot do. And what is that? Well, save you from those people around you. You often can't do that. But ultimately, you trust him to save you from your sins. Because you can't. How are you meant to make up for things that you've done wrong when you're supposed to be good all the time? It's not no scale of good works outweigh bad works because when you're created, you're created to do good works all the time. So when you slip up once, you deserve to be punished. No amount of good works will make up because you're supposed to be doing those good works all the time. And so you need to trust someone to save you from your sins. And that person that you need to trust is Jesus Christ, his death at the cross as the payment for your sins, the removal, the wiping clean of your sinful record so that you are safe from hell and instead go to heaven. And so you don't need to lose heart in the face of dangers because you know you are safe, because you believed in Jesus' death for you and so you have nothing to fear, nothing to fear from man and nothing to fear from God as a vengeful God taking you for eternal punishment. So if you're not a Christian here this morning, I encourage you, be a person of faith. Trust God's word. Trust God's word in what it says about his son and the way of salvation. 
Repent of your sins today. Recognize that you can't save yourself and no one can save you except God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. No one else is able to be offered as a sacrifice for you because they're all sinners as well. You need a perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus. I encourage you, repent of your sins and believe now so that you do not have to lose heart in the face of danger, but instead that you can face danger with the security of knowing that you've got a better place that you're headed to. And once you've trusted God, what about if you still have some doubts about your faith? You think, yes, I trusted, but am I really a Christian? Am I really someone who is standing firm in the faith? Or am I like a Haas? Could it be that I'm going to be destroyed eternally? Well, how do you know you are a Christian? Well, one of the big pointers that the Bible tells us again and again as to whether you are truly saved is look at your works. Works in Christianity are important. They don't save you, but they're lovely signs that you are a Christian. If you've believed in Jesus Christ, objectively, yes, you can say you're saved. If you've trusted in him for your sins, yes, you are saved. There's also a subjective side where you can look at the evidence given in your life by the way that you live. What things should you be looking out for? We should be looking out for a love for God. How does a love for God manifest itself in your life? By your interest in God. Do you pray regularly? Do you read the Bible regularly? Do you meet with God's people to hear about God and to be encouraged by other people and what they say about God and to encourage others? Do you always speak about God? You talk about the people you love. You see that with people who are dating. They don't shut up about people that they love. When people look at you, do they hear you talking about the love of your life? God. Do they see you in regular communication with the love of your life, with God? Or do they see you just spending one hour a week at church on Sunday with the love of your life? Imagine that. You're married for just one hour a week. You spend that time with someone. It's not much of a marriage. But you claim to be married to God. You claim to love God. You claim to have your trust in God. Then you should be in regular communication with your God. And if you're not, ask yourself whether you're like a Ahaz. You're hearing the word of God, but you're not trusting it. And then also, not just by the way that you love God, you can also see that you're a Christian by the way way you love your neighbour, by the way you love people around you. Are you being loving towards the people in your life? Or are you being unloving? Are you not kind to the people in your life? Instead you have fights and conflict with them on a regular basis. Well, that's evidence that you're not a Christian. Because a Christian has a changed heart. A Christian has different priorities. A Christian starts to exhibit fruits of the Holy Spirit, which are love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness to those around them. So if you aren't seeing those things, well then maybe you don't have faith. And so you should lose heart in the face of danger because you don't know what will happen to you when your enemy kills you and where you may end up. So do you lose faith, uh, lose heart easily in the face of threats? Well, if you're a Christian, you have no reason to. 
Your head is Christ and Christ's head is God. You have nothing to fear. But every one of you should also be examining your own heart to see whether you truly are a Christian. Seeing whether you really do trust God for your sins and seeing whether that is shown by the way that you live. The way that you live in your relationship with God and the way that you live in the relationship with people around you. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who knows the future and you tell us the future. You tell Ahaz there in the Old Testament what would happen and so that dangers were exposed for what they really are and you tell us what will happen in the future today. You tell us what will happen to us eternally. If we stand firm in the faith, we will be eternally saved, which makes all dangers that man can throw at us in this world pale And so we do not need to lose heart for what can man do to us? Lord, we thank you that we can have this marvellous hope in eternal life through the work of Jesus Christ at the cross, that there we see a sacrifice given that we can trust in and know that we are forgiven. Lord, we pray that everyone in this room may trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. And we pray that we may regularly see evidence of this trust in you by the way that we live, the way that we live towards you and the way that we live towards those around us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.